everyone, and welcome to My Cancer Story Podcast. I'm Jess Nelson. I'm your host. Welcome to our second episode of Season 2. Today I have a special treat for you. Uh, It's a little different than what we've done so far. Um, Obviously, every episode is just a little bit different, but I really think this one is special. You are going to meet both Sarah and Anne. So we had a little three-way call today on Zoom, so that was really fun, and we had a really great time chatting, and I really enjoyed listening to both Sarah and Anne have this witty banter back and forth and share their stories, share their tips, and then also share their cancer stories. They are both Hodgkin's lymphoma survivors. They're best friends from high school. Uh, They are self-proclaimed military brats. They both went to high school where they met in Germany, and they just have a really special and unique story. I really hope you guys enjoy this listen. It is so good. It was so much fun getting to meet them and chat with them. So enjoy. Well, well thank you ladies for being here. Um, a little little background with uh, Sarah had reached out to me. Sarah, I think you found me on Instagram. Yeah, through okay. Lindsay Persley. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Lindsay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's so awesome. I love her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you find me on Instagram and we had scheduled a, an interview and then you you followed up with like, hey, I'm not sure if you'd be interested in this, but I have a friend mm-hmm. who, your best friend from high school? High school, yeah. High school. Um, also had, had cancer. You're both Hodgkin lymphoma survivors, correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so I was like, yeah, bring her on. This sounds like a super interesting story. So from here, um, I have Sarah and Anne joining me, uh, both Hodgkin lymphoma survivors, and they have a really interesting story. It's a little bit different than what we've heard. You guys are actually my first, my first like three person interview, two person (laughs) interview. It's very exciting. (laughs) Um, so, uh, I'll just kind of, this is like just super unique, um, nothing that we've, uh, talked about before. So I'll just kind of let you, you ladies, I don't know who wants to speak first, but take it away, just introduce yourself. And then, um, obviously we talked about Hodgkin's lymphoma, but just kind of go from there and then we can just build on, on your story on how, um, this all came, came to be, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So I think we'll kind of just start with how we met and then probably mostly let Anne talk for a little bit first. So um, we were both military brats, grew up military brats. Her dad was in the army. My dad was in the Navy. And uh, we ended up somehow being in Germany in high school (laughs) through the military. Uh, She, I think you were what, you were a sophomore and I was a junior, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we just were instantly best friends. Um, We met through cheer tryouts and she felt sad for me and befriended me because she was amazing and I was horrible. (laughs) And, um, yeah, we were just super fast friends and kind of like became inseparable through the rest of our high school years and living overseas is a very different experience. Um, and we got to travel Europe together and I lived off of the post and she lived on the post with her family. And so my family let me spend any night I wanted at her house, which was incredibly unique for us as high school students. So it's kind of like where our story starts um, and how we met and became really close friends with such a unique, like, you know, just being in Germany, being overseas, doing something totally different and fun and cool, being sad that we missed our people in the United States, you know, just bonded over so many similarities. And it was crazy as we have now, I mean, what are we, what year? 
at 15 plus 20, I don't know, we've been friends forever. And now we continue to have these like very weird similarities throughout our lives. So. And then, and then we separated. (laughs) We were inseparable. And then we were divided by the entire country. Sarah moved up here to Washington state where she went to school. I was down in Tampa, USF doing I was good enough at cheerleading to do it in college, Sarah. Wow. Much. <laughs> you were <good. laughs> I was the worst one by the time we got to college. But um, that's kind of where our, then our our weird cancer story, I guess, starts. So um, I was in my freshman year doing all the freshman year things. I won't go into detail, but I was having the time of my life. Um, <laughs> Like and, all college students do, and you should. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> just coming into your own, trying everything out was just—it was just amazing. Um, but came back to my parents' house for Christmas, like we all kind of do. My family lived up in Virginia at the time, and so it was Christmas Eve, I guess, or New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, we had a party. Uh, I may or may not have partook in a few alcoholic beverages if you count Smirnoff ice as alcohol which oh, I no longer I no longer do oh, <laughs> absolutely repulsive okay. <laughs> and like that just very simple thing actually just turned I think both of our lives upside down so um that just caused immense pain in my chest like it just I felt like I was having a heart attack that night and just thinking like it's heartburn I went to I went try to sleep it off didn't work end up in the ER that night. By the time you get there, you're like, okay, well, it's going away. This is silly. Why are we even here? Um, but literally by morning after, you know, a clear EKG and some chest x-rays, they're like, well, this is not good. So um, that was that. So yeah, it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was stage 2B. Um, and I had never I'd really never known anyone at that point. You know, I'm 18 years old. I didn't know anyone that had cancer. It was a really big, scary word. Of course, the doctors tell you when you get Hodgkin's, like, don't worry, you got the good one. And you're like, oh, fuck buddy, you. Yeah. totally. Like, it told me the same thing with thyroid. Oh, it's the good one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But at 18, you're like, well, I'm going to be a bald 18 year old. Like, there's no good one. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so yeah, the whole, like a pretty traditional chemo regimen, six months every other week, the ABVD kind of thing. Um, Sarah and I were talking last night and it's funny because she vividly remembers me calling to give her that news, mm-hmm. but I don't. And then later I'll tell you like the reverse is true. I remember her calling to give me that same call years later. Uh, so it's just wild, but Yeah. I visited her, you know, I remember she was upset, obviously. So, so upset. And so at that point we were still very, you know, every friendship ebbs and flows over, you know, the course of time. And I remember her mom calling and just saying, can you please just come visit and like, let's make it happen, figure it out, you know? And I remember going to her treatments with her and as we get into stories later, we have some actually pretty hilarious stories because the way that her and I work is through humor. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made many people uncomfortable <laughs> when we were sick. Um, but there's some, some of the funnest stories as we look back. Totally. But then it was like, 
I was fine, right? I was fine. The doctors were right. I was very lucky to have like a pretty swift treatment plan and in remission right away. So I was super blessed. Um, weirdly though, that it felt like every 12 minutes, someone was picking up the phone to tell both of us that they had cancer. So oh God. it was, it started with my dad. He was a few years after me, had the exact same kind, Hodgkin's lymphoma to be, um, which is weird, right? Because I mean, I'm no scientist, but there's only like 8,000 new cases per year in the US. So it's pretty rare cancer. Yeah. So the fact that like two people in my household have it within a couple of years was really bizarre. Um, he had a much rougher go, I think, just given his his age and some of the some of the not so fun side effects of chemo. But thankfully, he's fine, too, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But then a couple of years later, then my mom gets ovarian cancer. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God. It was just constant. And I think, yeah, so that was like a few years later. And then, and then comes Sarah's phone call. And it's like, okay, now this is like an evil joke. What in the yeah, F is, is going, going on? on? Yeah. So, Sarah, you're five years after Anne. 10. Yes, 10. 10 years. Yep. Yeah. So I was pregnant with baby number two. Um, we lived at the time in Pennsylvania and that pregnancy was very different from my first pregnancy. Um, and I just, so two huge things that were happening to me during my pregnancy were, um, and I don't remember the technical term for this, but my arms and legs itched like crazy to the point that I was bleeding and bruised. Oh my God. Yeah. And, um, like nothing could make it feel better. And the doctors were like, Oh, it's the horn, you know, dry skin. But did you try lotion? I'm like, are you kidding? Yes. I tried lotion, (laughs) you know? Um, and then very severe night sweats. And again, I'm pregnant. So they're like, Oh, it's hormonal. Like you're fine, whatever. So then I have, so Adeline is my, my youngest. So I have her and literally as I delivered the placenta, the doctor's like, your placenta is so weird, like so weird. And I'm like, okay. She like calls all the nurses in. I'm like, I have all these people looking at my placenta. I'm like, is my baby okay? Like, I don't care about the placenta, (laughs) you know? So it had like three chambers instead of two. And it like was all, it was all weird. I don't know, not textbook. So she took it to pathology and it came back that it just like had a virus in it. But she said, but it did its job. Your baby is healthy. Like as long as you continue to, you know, make sure that she's healthy, then there's nothing to be concerned about. I'm like, okay, cool. So everything was fine. And then at my six week postpartum checkup, my OB, by the grace of God, felt my neck for some crazy reason <laughs> and found a lump in my neck. And the second, the, the second she felt that lump and I just immediately knew it was cancer after all my crazy symptoms, after, um, just that gut feeling. I just had that gut feeling. Um, and so it was very rapid because the next week I was literally moving three States away. So I was in the process of separating the air force. I was active duty air force at the time. My husband at the time, had already moved to Indiana. I was in Pennsylvania. I had a three-year-old and an infant and a lump in my neck. (laughs) So, um, I went and got an ultrasound 
And after that, thankfully, his sister-in-law was a charge nurse up there at the surgery center. So she kind of got all of my doctors in a line because I didn't know yet at that time that it was cancer, but, but I knew, right? Yeah. And so, you know, they did several biopsies. And by the time it was so interesting how fast that it grew to the point that it affected my voice within a matter of a couple of weeks. And so the ENT in Indiana um, finally took the whole thing, the lymph node completely out of my neck. And at that, it was already like five to seven centimeters. It got really big, really fast. And yeah, so when they finally diagnosed me, I, I too was stage 2B. Um, I went through all the treatment. We can talk about that later. But what was even more interesting after my treatment was completely over, I had a new oncologist because transfers and whatnot. He, this new oncologist said, you're not a 2B, you're a four. You have stage four Hodgkin's because I had tumors on my lungs. So anytime you have lymphoma specifically on an organ, it's automatically stage four. So, you know, it, it kind of felt like I was in remission but the time they restaged me and then I was like, okay, it just freaked me out. I'm like, okay, should we have done something different? Like, yeah, it's gone now, but did you do the right thing? Like if it's all over. So it was kind of a stressful, a stressful time afterwards, just because like I, at that point, I just didn't have faith in my oncologist anymore. I was like, what are you doing? And what did you just do to me for the last six months? Like, yeah, it's gone, but was it the right thing to do? So, yeah, so I called Ann. I mean, I called Ann right away because obviously a best friend B, <laughs> she already did this once yeah. and it just, yeah, it was kind of unthinkable, like absolutely unthinkable because then, you know, another piece of this whole crazy story is that there's probably at least 10 people that we went to high school with that all had cancer and we had a class of like 65. And not good there. That's no. And so then, but my oncologist told me that it was not an environmental exposure. And we're like, it's way too coincidental for it not to be something that we've been exposed to at some point. So, yeah, I don't know a, how your oncologist would know. And then B Mm -hmm. there's, there's so many studies out there and like so many Mm -hmm. theories of the different factors, like the environmental factors where your mom had you in her belly, your environmental factors, where you grew up, where you currently live. Do you have asbestos in your house? Environmental factors like cars, pollution, and then the stuff that you put in your body, what kind of household cleaners you use, like what kind of food you eat and all that stuff too. So like, it just kind of, to me, it just seems weird that your oncologist just immediately dismiss it. Like, no, it's not environmental. And it just, it's, it feels almost statistically impossible for best friends to have the exact same kind of cancer when like, we shouldn't know anyone. They should, we shouldn't like know anyone, let alone people in such a close knit community. It just doesn't feel coincidental. You know, the only, the only other thing, and like Sarah and I talk about this all the time about just like praying that there would be some really significant research done about military bases and what is going on there. There's just a much higher rate um, so I think environmental is really interesting, Jess, but the, also, the other thing is mono 
mono is theorized to sometimes mutate that that teen bar virus to mutate and like can cause the Hodgkin's. Um, And there was a mass outbreak of mono in our high school. Yeah, we both had it. (laughs) Making out with you. (laughs) (laughs) Not again. (laughs) So who knows, but yeah. yeah. I have a friend from college. He also had Hodgkin's lymphoma and he, they attributed it to the mononucleosis uh, mm. Epstein-Barr because he had like two or three reoccurrences with it, but he, like mm. he, he had a really gnarly case of mono. So that's what they attribute it to. So that, I totally forgot about that until you mentioned that. So that's interesting. So with the people like from the base and from your high school, so you said from about 10, is it, different kind of cancers across the board is it all hodgkins several hodgkins i know yeah several hodgkins different several ovarians Mm -hmm. several recurrences of different kinds yeah um that's so interesting yeah not cool so since yeah not cool at all (laughs) so since uh, both of you have gone into remission i have have you had any recurrences, any scares? What have you done since then? Go ahead, Anne. So thankfully no recurrences, but I think I think having people in your community who have been through it is so helpful because Sarah and I do listen to our bodies in a much different way than we would have, certainly than I was at 18. Um, but from the foods that we eat and like you said, the things we use in our home and like, how do we spend our time? And like, we just listen to our bodies in a much different way. And I think I'm the opposite of a hypochondriac. Like at one point I walked around with like five years of um, appendicitis and just was like, oh, it's just pain and it's fine. (laughs) So we're not hypochondriacs, but you do have to listen to your body. And it's nice to be able to bounce that off and be like, dude, my armpit is swelling hella tender right now what do you what's going on yeah I would I mean yeah I would say that we've all had scares because we're just so much more in tune with what's going on and every time even last night like last night my leg wouldn't stop itching and I'm like okay I know that I my logical brain right is like I know this is not cancer but I'm like but what if it is you know like freaking out and just being ridiculous you know I I mean I've had um so another interesting piece about this is I think both Anne and I I think we both had very normal um what's the right word like blood our blood was normal Mm -hmm. yeah before like when we were diagnosed but we have a blood disease and a blood so it's crazy right like our blood was normal the numbers were normal but yet we had a blood disease so that's very kind of confusing for me at least you know and so now every time they want to do blood work I'm like what does it matter (laughs) it's always normal you know but I've had elevated white blood cells and things like that and in those ways scares where they wanted to just do extra scans just to make sure that nothing was happening Mm -hmm. or and I still struggle a lot with night sweats and my oncologist very much is just keeps track of that kind of stuff but yeah I've not had a recurrence either did either of your oncologists explain as to why your blood work came back normal? Like, was, was there a, a theory behind that or no? I don't I think remember. I thought to ask. I yeah. just find that so interesting. Yeah. 
So um, it was much more janked up during chemo like sure. that then of yeah, course yeah. poses. Yeah. Yeah. The white blood cell yeah. mess. That's so interesting. So um, how long does it, is it considered that you are in remission and then how often do you have to go back and get scans or get workups done on you? I think that changes by the oncologist you talk to, mm. but I think for our kind of cancer, I've heard many oncologists say that at the five-year mark, you're considered actually cured so that if we were to get hot, well, Anne's totally out of the clear. I'm not yet out of the clear, but um, if you were to get it again, it's like getting it all over again from scratch, not technically a recurrence. Mm. So, but I, you know, I think every oncologist might have a different opinion about that. So I at least got a scan every six months for the first two years. And now I get them annually until I hit my five-year mark. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that both of you are doing really well when taking care of yourselves and have no recurrences or reinstances or anything like that. Um, post-cancer, I guess, after your diagnosis, um, what have you changed uh, as far as lifestyles goes? mentally, physically, emotionally, um, everything. Is that an answer? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> Dumped the douchebag exes to start because Good. life is too short. Yes, <laughs> <it is. laughs> Funny to realize yeah. like you don't need to put up with the bullshit. So you're just like, get out of here. Amen. It really is life, cha- life changing. And we both kind of think of it kind of actually as a blessing, right? It's yeah. a blessing that we, so young at 18 and 29 kind of got this like second lease on life to understand really how precious and it is and how it really can be gone tomorrow (laughs) and to make a lot of changes. Um, so yes, I did not have a supportive spouse during my cancer treatment and I had an infant and a three-year-old, so it was not the easiest six months to a year. And I, you know, actually I struggled a lot more probably the year post chemo than I ever did during treatment. That is so true. Yeah. And when I got diagnosed, I was not, I wasn't scared. I didn't cry. Like I didn't cry. (laughs) I just like, okay, let's get this done because I saw Anne survive it. I saw her dad survive it. Like I, I wasn't scared of dying. I knew that it was the good cancer. I knew that it was curable. Right. Oh, you can't see air quotes. I air quoted the good cancer. (laughs) Um, I think it's implied, yeah. (laughs) But um, so I wasn't scared of what I was about to go through. I knew it would suck, right? I wasn't like looking forward to it, but I wasn't afraid. And I had an infant and a three-year-old that I had to get up for every single day. Um, We had it at very different stages in our lives. And um it wasn't really until maybe a year post. So, I mean, to paint kind of a clear picture for me, at least. So I went from active duty air force, cancer, having a baby, moving three States away, buying 20 acres, like literally all in a six month period. So like one of those things would be potentially catastrophic for a person and or a marriage. Mm And I had all of those things at once. And so while they were happening, it was a hundred percent survival mode, like just get through the day. Mm-hmm. So a year later, it was a fucking mess. 
completely lost myself, had no idea who I was, terrified, anxiety, depression. I never had had any of that in my entire life. And now, uh, you know, I had a husband that didn't want to have family anymore. And like, it just was, it was horrible. And, you know, first time in my life getting on anxiety meds and feeling that was hard. That was hard. I'm, I'm a very independent, self-sufficient person. And I struggled hard with, I didn't know how to feel feelings. I still, I'm still learning. It's still a struggle, but, um, yeah, it was the aftermath of the cancer and that change in my life that was way more, way more difficult, but also the biggest blessing. So, I mean, it was both it. So I don't, yeah. It's a lot of change at once. And like you said, just one of those things would be like very difficult to deal with and unpack. And then you're dealing with several and it, mm-hmm. ultimately it, it, it caught up to you. You weren't actually able to process any of it. That, yeah. So, I mean, I still have a therapist and I still talk, Good. I talk to yeah. Ann about this all the time too. Like, I don't know if I ever even processed that I had cancer. What does yeah. that even mean? I don't even know what that looks like. I just had to get through it because I had two kids. I had to like, <laughs> you know, and I didn't have a per, I didn't have the other person's help. It was me. Right. I- so I think too, like when you're in the middle of it, like when you're diagnosed and the shock and awe is there and when you're in treatment and you physically need help, I think you're surrounded by community Mm. and family that will care for you and people that are praying for you and checking on you Mm. and literally carry you through life in those, in those months. Um, but as that subsides, once, once you're cured, once you're done, I think naturally people kind of go back to doing real life. And then you're left with like this wild hangover that sometimes is harder than the treatment itself to your point, Sarah, and it can last for years. And I think that's like the beauty in cancer though, is that Lord willing, you make it those years after, like once the hangover dwindles, the lingering effect, I think is where there's power in how you live the rest of your life. And that's, I think what Sarah and I, like we're in our lingering mode right now, I would say. And it's just so, so helpful to have someone to lean into with that. Absolutely. And I think like you guys are incredibly blessed to have each other and to, you know, have that very, very tight knit close community. But then in addition to that, I, I've said this before, the cancer community is incredible. Like everybody is just there to support each other. It doesn't matter what kind of cancer you had. It doesn't matter what kind of experience you had, you know, the good kind the kind that should have killed you, but like everybody's just there to lift each other up, even after the dust is settled from trying to survive. I just yes. think that's just so incredible. And, you know, I, it's, it's not often talked about like kind of having that hangover and not really addressing what has just happened to you and mm-hmm. uh, for, for others to be out there to, to talk with you and to, you know, help, help lift you up when you can't even lift yourself up, I think is truly important. So for 100%. you guys to have each other is, is a cancer blessing, you know, like it's, we don't always like to talk about like cancer being good, but there are, are these little blessings throughout, like along the way that, you know, you don't take your life for granted. You do something really cool with it and you find the good in life again and, and figure mm-hmm. out what you do now. So like you guys seeing the good is just so incredible. 
We try. Hey. We, got a, we, we got a morbid sense of humor that I we like do. It. I like it. <laughs> let's, let's talk about some of our very yes. morbid but hilarious, at let's least to go. us, they were I very funny. Along. I like it. <laughs> oh, which one do you want to start with the end? <laughs> My favorite is that hair story because you were just a royal bitch. <laughs> so, you so. I'll just tell this one and then you have some funny other ones, Sarah, but obviously at 18 years old, losing my hair, was just awful. It, it is, I think for women in general, being such a like part of our identity and yes, it feels superficial, but it's real and it sucks. Um, so literally 18 years old, bald, I finished chemo and my family. Hold on. And- you, hold on. Bald. You had many ponytails. Okay. I had, I never shaved my head. She's right. Yeah. I never like shaved. Hair. I couldn't do it, Jess. I couldn't <laughs> do it. I should have in hindsight, someone should have yes. just done it to me in my like sleep. The balding guy that did the big comb over. Yes. It was, it was so horrible. bad. It was horrible. Horrible. <laughs> but to celebrate being done, we go on this huge family vacation. I take an extra long layover in Seattle to hang with my best friend, Sarah. Ooh. So she had just been come back from some big military exercise. And the first thing she wanted to do upon welcoming me back was go get her hair done. This girl takes me to a salon <laughs> and makes me sit there and watch her get her highlights and her color and her like scalp massage. And I'm just like, what are you doing? This is torture. So obviously we made the entire salon massively uncomfortable, but we were kind of in stitches and I just will never, ever let her live it down. I can't. Yeah. I hear about it often. Well, I wasn't thinking I was 18. I didn't have like empathy at that point. I didn't really understand. No, you "You look fine. You're fine. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, but and not, I mean, we have a lot of hair related stories, but we also when I went and visited her while she was going through treatment, I think that was when I don't know, but you, yeah, so we went and got um couples massages mm-hmm. and by two men. We should just think, we should just clarify, we're not okay, a couple. I know you're not a couple. well, yeah, we're okay, best yeah, friends, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, for the listeners, <laughs> um, even if you were, no judgment, yeah, <laughs> yep, no judgment. Um, we, yeah, so first we were a giggling hot mess because it was these, we we're 18 and these two men that are massaging us. Yeah. And like, and as to the point that if she just laid her head on the pillow and she lifted her head up, like there would be hair all over the pillow. Like that is how bad it was. And so she just, we giggled the whole time about don't touch my hair. It will fall out. She made him very uncomfortable. I'm sure about making sure that he didn't touch a single hair on her head so that it wouldn't fall out. And, you know, just so many stories from her perspective of we were in downtown DC on a bus, like a bus downtown. I recall cackling because you kept talking about that you had cancer and you were bald and people around us were looking at us like we were these two crazy 18 year olds that were very morbid, very uncomfortable. And that's just how we dealt with it was humor and, and being, that's how we are. We like to make other people uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I mean, you're I think just pointing like, out the obvious. It's fine. Like you're just totally. yeah, like you're Look looking at, at me. Yeah. You see when I'm sick, yeah. so like, let's just talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not. I know we Sarah and I try to like honor the fact that everyone to each his own. Everyone handles it and processes it in their own way. Mm-hmm. But for us, like being true to who we are as people, like the only way to choose to get through this with any ounce of like spirit was to laugh at ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I think like, that's okay. I mean, the laughter is the best medicine. Mm-hmm. There's something in that. Yeah. 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 I chose to shave my head uh, because it was all falling out and I couldn't take a shower. Like it made me sick just to mm-hmm. see it fall out. And so after, must've been after the third or fourth treatment, I just finally shaved it. And it was the most freeing feeling I have ever had. Like I would have to take lorazepam before I'd take a shower so that I could make it through a shower. Um, So that really helped to just get it off, get it off. (laughs) Just, it was horrible. sense of control too. You, you shaved your head. Right. As opposed to your hair falling out. Yeah. But I would tell you even today. And so, I mean, this is three years of hair growth. (laughs) And yeah, thank you. I was looking at both your Um, hairs. I'm like, beautiful. really long (laughs) yeah but I still like I still struggle in the shower when I because it's not coming out and but it's still coming out and it's that I have a lot of association sicknesses and and I still really struggle with them um and hair is one of them and so yeah I uh yeah very different hair experiences but like she said like being a woman you know and her being 18 and me being 29 and already married with two kids I was didn't give a crap about my hair right I just was like get it off of me so well yeah you're you're a thousand percent right and saying that hair is especially for women is such a part of our identity Mm -hmm. vain or not vain it's just especially if you had long hair to begin with it's you know, you, you reach down subconsciously and what's not there, it's, it's weird and it's very jarring and startling. And, you know, like when it's coming out like that, it's, it's gotta be kind of terrifying. So it's definitely something to have anxiety or, or stress about. And it's all about the process of, of chemo. Yeah. We, so <laughs> we're going to um, make probably everyone a bit uncomfortable, but we are like truth tellers. That's what we like to do. And we're, so we, we also kind of acknowledge, I think that a lot of, when you think of cancer, you think it, people just tell you the surface level things, right. And your doctor isn't going to tell you some of the nitty gritty, horrible things that might happen to you while you're going through chemotherapy. Mm. And so one thing that we have in common that we to love to talk about is poop. (laughs) And, um, we struggled significantly, significantly with pooping while we were sick to the point that, and I'm probably going to be embarrassed later on that I actually shared this for people to hear, but my doctor didn't say that I would literally be shitting rocks and have to dig them out myself, like literally glove up and dig shit out. It was, it will, a it's embarrassing, right. And extremely painful. And I vividly remember. So my mom lived here in Nebraska 
at the time. And she would drive up nine hours, like every other week while I was going through chemo to be with me and just being in the bathroom and just crying and rocking and just praying to God that it would just come out and like literally digging poop out of myself. And it was, I mean, hor- it ruined, like it ruins yeah. stuff. <laughs> and that's why you need like people like Jess asking actual people who have been through cancer, these questions, because doctors like are going to tell you, you might have some issues with constipation, but they're not going to give you this, like, girl, this is not going to be funny. Like take <laughs> some stool softener. Like you're going to bleed. It's going to suck. Yeah. I <laughs> just, that's, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes totally. You just need that matter of fact, or people actually knowing because probably right. the doctor doesn't even know that you'll be shitty yeah. stones, you know? Yeah, totally. I, that's in, that's in my little cancer, um, like gift What a stupid thing to say, but like when somebody gets diagnosed, I just <laughs> stool softener is like the biggest jar in the basket. Like just take it. Yeah, trust questions. Me. Yep. A little care, care basket of stool softener. I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, we get questions all the time, you know, like my mom was just diagnosed or my cousin was like, what, what can I do for them? How can I help them? You know, do you have any advice? And, you know, we get those kinds of questions a lot and we, we both have this heart of, you know, we didn't choose a specific pain in our lives, but, but we chose not to suffer through it. Also, you don't have to suffer, right. You get to have that choice, yeah, we didn't choose to have cancer, but we did get to choose how we handled it and what we do with it. Mm-hmm. And, and what we choose is to help anybody that we can really understand what is going to happen to them and just be an advocate for them. Like a ton of people don't know that there is, even is a Leukemia and Lymphoma Society who will help you financially, who will do all the, people don't know, you know, people don't know so many things and um, so any, I don't know, that's just kind there's of so many resources out there or like um, so many options out there. Um, for example, I was talking with a, a friend of mine who had breast cancer and I can't remember if Lindsay did this or not too, but like the cold caps yeah, she did. keep you from losing your hair. Mm-hmm. And I just, it's like, holy shit. I didn't even know something like that existed. And mm-hmm. a lot of people might not know that if you know that that's an option for them or right. fertility treatments, there's like different groups yeah. that help finance fertility treatments. If you're going to, if you don't have a baby and you want one later, you know, all, all that right. kind of stuff is, is incredible. Um, that people do need to know that's out there in addition to the weird side effects to chemo or the weird side effects yeah. to just having cancer. It's just, people don't know. And right. kind of attribute to the same thing as like having babies. I, I don't have any children, but I do have friends who've had children. And I'm like, here are the things they don't tell you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, right. <laughs> but it's, you know, things that you need to know that you might not necessarily hear from your doctor, or if you don't know anybody with cancer that you don't know things like that. So I think it's right. really important for those like, like you ladies, you know, telling them the truth, this is how it is. And, you know, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So segue, I, I always ask everybody kind of towards the end, but it's just, this is a really good moment to uh, 
to ask for advice, you know, you've got, you've kind of given advice throughout the whole chat and everything like that. I would say, what's your big takeaway that you can provide the listeners of the podcast from your experience with cancer through uh, your experience with your loved ones with cancer or even your classmates? What, what would you like to tell the listeners out there? Go ahead, Anne. Oh gosh, I think, um, I think there's a bunch of like little tactical tips that just like literally soften the pain of chemo that are just helpful to know. And then there are some bigger like theoretical things. I bet you Sarah and I probably have similar thoughts, probably ping pong back and forth, but the things I put in my care basket, if you will, and literally I flew to Sarah, I think I was there like 30 hours after you were diagnosed and I just, it's like, I know I can't heal her or make her feel okay but she's still in shock and I'm not, and I can just go into hyperdrive. And so for me, showing up looks like not waiting until Sarah asks me for help, but just go be there, thrust myself upon her and bring her the care basket (laughs) with stool softener and like hard candy, hard candy. That's really punchy flavor that you have in your mouth when they flush you with saline. That you never, oh my gosh, that you never want to have again, A, (laughs) and B, okay, this is so huge. The saline flush is horrendous, horrendous. But if you can remember to ask them to pull it from your bag instead of pulling it fresh from a syringe, you don't get the, you don't get the taste. That was life changing for me. So normally when they do a saline flush, they like bring it out from wherever and it's just already in the syringe and they do the saline flush. But if I, oh, I learned to ask them to take it from my bag, like whatever that dripped into me the whole time. And then you don't taste it somehow. So anyway, sorry. I just, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know that we should have, you should have gone first. You could have taught me. (laughs) So the flush that goes into your port is like after the chemo and just kind of flushes everything out. I'm sorry for my, well, between every, between, so we had four chemotherapy drugs, okay. two of them were pushes and two of them were drips. Okay. Yeah. And so, and did not have a port, which is something that we should also, talk about. Also advice, get the port. hundred percent. Okay. Yes. I had a port. So I also stopped nursing the morning of my first chemotherapy because, well, obviously I couldn't nurse and go through chemo, but I was so engorged. It was the most painful experience ever for like 10 days. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyways. So yeah, through your port. So we would get first our like cocktail of anti-nausea and, and, uh, the, uh, steroids. Mm -hmm. And then we'd get two pushes and two drips and, between every one of those things, you get a saline flush through your, well, for me, at least through my port um, to clean out all the stuff and make sure there was a blood return. Um, but I, I vividly remember listening to Lindsay's podcast and I think we had different chemotherapy treatments, but they both were red in color and I had to stop listening. I couldn't keep, I couldn't, I couldn't listen. Yeah. yeah, we call it, ours was called the red devil. At least that was what I called mine. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, even looking at it coming in, it was a push. It was like a 20 minute push where the nurse would just sit there and like slowly push it into my port, immediately sick. So um, yeah, 
candy, but it'll be a candy you never want to eat again. So (laughs) I think a lot of us have the association sickness. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like 14 years out of treatment and I still, I still have it really powerfully. So um, smells, tastes, um, just, I think be very intentional about like, don't use perfume or lotion or candles or anything that smells good while you're being treated, because the second you're done, you want to be able to still enjoy that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, the hard candy was a good one to help mask that saline. <laughs> oh, gross. What yeah. else? Another very tactical tip for me, at least with my port was, so I mean, they're kind of in the vein of, we don't need to go through more. In the vein? In the vein of, oh, look at me (laughs) being more, more painful than necessary is to ask for, um, uh, what is that numbing cream called with an L, um, lidocaine, lidocaine cream and put it over your port or wherever you're going to get poked. And for like an hour before you go and saran wrap it so that it stays so anyways, that was one important thing because I, I dreaded them poking through my pore every time. And for what? Like, I don't have to feel that. Like that sucks, you know, just things like that to make your, your therapy easier. You know, the other thing I didn't realize was I think you just anticipate that chemo is going to be so horrible. So you expect to feel bad, right? But what I didn't realize, and I told Sarah and I tell everyone else is like, take really good notes of truly detailed how you're feeling because that cocktail Sarah talked about the anti-nausea, the like preemptive stuff they give you that is distinct from chemo. They can, they can maneuver and manipulate that. So I remember finally like four months into a six month treatment. I'm like, I feel like what I can only assume a withdrawal patient goes through the coming off of hard drugs. I can't get comfortable. I'm shaky. Like it's not good. And, and then I think I finally brought up the constipation thing and like, like, Oh honey, we can just tweak your anti-nausea and like instant relief. So I think no symptom is too big or too small to talk to your doctor about. They, they really can tweak things to make it easier for you. Yeah. I also, you know, kind of, I guess I'm going to shift gears a little bit, but Anne always had really great advice. She always has really great advice. And one thing I remember very vividly her telling me was cancer is going to make or break your relationships quite literally mm-hmm. with, with anybody. I mean, from your spouse to maybe your parents to these people that are coming out of the woodwork that you haven't heard from in years. Um, and, and it was true. It, I mean, it was so true because people either show up for you mm-hmm. and, and you learn the power of support, you know, and, and in turn, are, I'm, you know, always giving that to other people. But I mean, in my, cancer wasn't like the one thing that broke my marriage. I wouldn't say that that strongly, but it was the giant factor, um, and a hard place. And so, you know, that was huge. I had Anne and I had, you know, my parents that would come every time I was in treatment and, Anne, you know, I think she lived at home during her treatment and, you know, I'd come to visit and, 
you know, you just really learn, you know, now a couple of years later, I'm very intentional about who I spend my time with and who I allow to impact my life. And I'm not perfect at it, but it's incredibly important to me um, after these last three to four years and what I've experienced um, really, truly, you know, devastation after devastation. And I feel, I feel truly blessed though, to be able to have that perspective because I didn't necessarily have that perspective even five years ago. Um, and it's changed significantly um, to the point that I, I finally had, what is the right word? Um, not power, but I mean, to, to leave a very toxic marriage. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have done that if I hadn't been through cancer. If I couldn't have said, I'm done. <laughs> I am done. And I have experienced so many things and I don't deserve to be treated like this and neither does anybody. But from that point, I finally had the wherewithal to understand that I wasn't being, you know, that I needed to go. Yeah. It gave you perspective for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The cliches, I think feel a little bit more true, like post-cancer, like you have this kind of weird rose colored glasses of like the life is short thing is is literal for you. And so just that was Sarah and I talk about like the power of choice and like choosing your people and choosing to lean into faith and choosing to ask for help and choosing to accept help and choosing to laugh at each other and with each other respectfully, of course. And like, I quit my job at one point and traveled the world for nine months. Like sometimes it, sometimes it like inspired really big leaps of faith and really like gorgeous stories. And I think that's the gift part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, everyone that I've spoken with, it's talking about the blessings of cancer and the good things that have come from it. And it really does, once again, change your perspective and it, it makes you more motivated to take care of yourself, like whether it's self-care that you travel or you quit that job that sucked or you get out of a really terrible relationship. It, it, it's not being selfish, but it almost kind of makes you be selfish, which is, I think, a good thing, especially for women. Um, mm-hmm. Women tend to just put up with more bullshit. And when, yeah. you, when you do have that cancer diagnosis and, and you survive it and you're just like, it just seems so silly to be, you know, in a bad job, in a bad relationship. And just for you to step back and give yourself some self-care, I think it's just so important. And to have that good community surrounding you, that's always going to support you and build you up. Mm preach this (laughs) it's really interesting um sarah you're talking about the people that like it can make and break your relationships and people coming out of the woodwork and i had i think it was my second interview i had my friend joe on she had breast cancer and um she was talking about how she lost a lot of friends throughout her her cancer journey and um the main thing is people just didn't know what to say so they just didn't say anything at all Mm-hmm. And she felt that that wasn't <laughs> the right thing to do. Not yeah, that there is a right and a wrong thing to do, but it's just like just say something, even if it's the wrong thing. Just be like, here, I don't or, know what to say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I have a girlfriend here who was diagnosed with not the good one, right? And you've you even I've been through it, 
but you just still sometimes feel like at a loss for words. And I literally wrote her a card and on the front just said, fuck, that's literally all I said. (laughs) And I took it to her house and it's like, yeah, you don't need to know what to say. It doesn't need to be the right thing. And it doesn't even need to be politically correct, but just being there, just showing up. Mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. All right. Well, ladies, this is awesome. <laughs> I love this three-way conversation and so fun. And I would say you guys are the first ones that have just been extremely candid and I fully appreciate it. And I know our listeners uh. are going to appreciate it because it's important to know like the weird intricacies of going through chemo and going through cancer and things that people don't talk about. So, and your funny stories are, you know, like having that sense of humor and being able to laugh is I think truly important. You're saying laughter is the best medicine. So yeah. thank you so much for being here and telling your story. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go? Cause we can talk forever if you want. Right, <laughs> Take us out, Sarah. Say something really good. Oh, great. Inspirational. Let's go. Okay. Let's get. I have something. One moment. Let me think. Hold, please. Uh, um, I mean, I, the biggest thing that I've learned through all of this and, and honestly, my dream for everyone and that and that it doesn't take something like cancer or life altering or life changing for you to understand this is that I truly believe that everything happens for you and not to you. And if you can make that very, very simple mindset shift, everything changes, literally everything changes, you know, I'm a strong believer that if you want to call it a silver lining, if you, whatever kind of words you want to use, but there is beauty in literally every piece of pain and really you can't have beauty until you've experienced pain. You don't know what life is. You don't know what freedom is. You don't know what good friendships are until you've experienced the pain of the opposite. Right. And that was cancer for us. And we've always been really great friends. But I mean, even more so now, and it, and something like cancer bonds you to any other person that has had cancer, right? So it it doesn't really matter what your pain is, right? Just that you've experienced pain and you make the choice to do something with it and not that it just happened to you, but do something good with the the things that you've learned from it. I mean, that's what... that's my perspective, at least and what I try to do. So that's beautiful. I love that. that everything happens for you, not to you. I, I've yeah. never heard that before. And that's a huge takeaway. I love that. Well, thank you. Ladies. I really, really appreciate this. Yeah. It's been amazing. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on. And, and Sarah, thank you for, for pitching the idea of adding Anne in. Like this was yeah. really a really fun hour to hang out with you ladies and, and just hear your story. And the fun cheeky banter it's it's just a, a pleasure seriously okay. thank you thank you so much you know i don't think i could thank ann and sarah enough for this wonderful chat that we had hanging out with you guys for the past hour it was so much fun and i really enjoyed learning more about you about your story your cancer journeys and even the stories of those that 
you went to school with, your family members. The cheeky banner was insanely funny, and the tips that you provided our listeners is priceless, just because it's a lot of things that people don't necessarily think about. So thank you again, ladies, and thank you everyone out there for listening. Please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or like to reach out to Sarah or Anne. Also, make sure to like, subscribe, and review anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. In addition to that, I did say I did switch over to Anchor as my platform for my podcast. On Anchor, it allows you to subscribe monthly and help support this podcast with monthly donations. If you have the ability to and would like to, it's always appreciated just because there are little costs that go into making this podcast every month. Thank you guys for listening and stay tuned next week for a brand new episode.